Hey, this is Jeremy Jung, and you're listening to Software Sessions. Today I'm joined by Mubashar Iqbal. A lot of people talk about working on side projects, but I don't know anyone with as many as Mubs. He even has a website called iworkedon.com that showcases all 84 of his projects. That kind of output is incredible. Mubs, welcome to the show. Thanks, thanks for having me on. And it's soon to be 85, just so you know. Soon to be 85. <laughs> Ooh, that's exciting. Are you are you going to announce what that is here? Oh, I, I mean, I can. It's actually funny because I did a podcast interview with uh, Colton Allen of, of um, Indie Hackers oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, last week. And we were talking about just some stuff about Pod Hunt and stuff like that. And it just kind of gave me an idea of a really quick little hack thing, you know, just uh, just to kind of see if it if it would make my experience of Hacker News a little bit improve, if it, you know, if I could improve my experience around Hacker News. So it took me about three hours to work on it. So yeah, I'll probably push that out tomorrow. <laughs> oh wow, <laughs> three hour turnaround time. That's. Uh... <laughs> I usually can't get a like a single issue done in three hours. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, I mean, I can I can talk a little bit about it if you want, or we can or we can talk about it afterwards as well. But why don't we start with Pod Hunt first? Because you mentioned it a little bit earlier. What is Pod Hunt, and why did you decide to create it? Yeah, Pod Hunt is uh, my attempt, and lots of people have tried as well to solve the problem of podcast discovery. You know, according to the most recent stats that I found, there was something like eight hundred and fifty thousand podcasts out there. Uh, 450,000 active podcasts, and active means that they published an episode in the last uh, 90 days, I think it is. And so, yeah, so when there's that much content out there, and it's not really organized any any particular way out there, it's very hard to find good stuff to listen to. Um, and so, you know, so other people have tried to solve this problem as well. But, you know, I, I kind of took a slightly different approach to it in that, uh, PodHunt focuses on the individual episodes, not on like the overall podcast itself. So as an example, let's say you're a big fan of the Joe Rogan podcast. It's number one, number two on the charts, you know, if you if you look at uh, the sort of overall charts. Um, but, you know, even, even Joe Rogan, he's put out something like 500 episodes now. Um, and so which one of those 500 episodes are you going to listen to? Right. Um, and, and, and kind of things like that. So yeah, it can be awesome to find a good podcast, but then you've still got to hunt down the episodes that you are going to find interesting. Uh, and so Pod Hunt is kind of a, uh, it's, it's a website where anybody can uh, become a part of the community and you can submit episodes um, and then other people will upvote those episodes. And then that, that kind of gives you a good way to find new episodes and find the ones that other people think are uh, worth listening to as well. And that's a, a new set of podcasts people vote on every day. So every day you go to the, the website, there's going to be a new set. Yeah. And, and that I mean, that was another reason to kind of make it like that daily leaderboard was that when I went to the, uh, you know, a few of the other uh, attempts to solve the problem and it's like, oh, these are the best podcasts. And you'd come back one day and you'd see an awesome list and be like, that's fantastic. You'd come back a week later, a month later, and it's the same list, right? Like it's the mm. same top podcast. Right. And they're like, well, yeah, but I wanted something new. <laughs> um, right. And so, and so, focusing on episodes gives us that ability to, okay, what was published in the last day, in the last week, and it gets submitted. And so, every time you come, because we reset the leaderboard every day, you get something new and something original, hopefully, um, and something interesting that you can listen to as well. 
How do you see people currently using it? Are they typically going to the website and listening to podcasts from there, or are they importing that day's podcast into their own player? What do you What do you see most people doing? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's a little bit of a mixture. So, uh, so we have a feed essentially that you can add to your podcast player of the top five episodes that I've voted on every day. So you don't actually have to come back to the website at all. You can just add that feed to your player, and then every day you get this, you know, random sampling of the top. Five five episodes that that you can listen to we also have a weekly emailing list as well so if you don't want to come back to the website every day uh, once a week we'll email you the list of the top 10 podcasts from the previous week as well um so we have a few different ways that people can stay uh, kind of looped in in terms of what's good and what's not as well and, and so yeah i think a lot of people are just kind of i, I don't think people i mean some people come back every day because they're just diehard podcasting fans and they want to see what's new every day and they want to submit stuff as well um and then other people i think it's just more of a casual thing whenever they're looking for a new podcast they're like oh what, what was that site that you know i could use to to find new podcasts and and they kind of hop in again I, I think we're also seeing a little bit of traction on social media as well i think uh at last count we had about 430 followers on twitter as well and we uh and we tweet out uh any new uh, ep- episodes that get submitted as well so people are kind of finding different ways to kind of stay in the loop about what's new i think still the majority of people are still listening to podcasts in in some kind of app whether it's a podcast app from apple or from spotify or, or something like that so they're, they're kind of finding it on PodHunt, and if they're not listening straight away they will they'll just kind of um, add that to their playlist and then they'll listen to it whenever they have some spare time. You're thinking they add the specific episode or you think they're adding the, the feed usually? I think, I mean, most most players aren't really, uh, you, you can't really add an individual episode in kind of a lot of instances mm-hmm. as well. So you kind of have to follow the podcast itself. I know Haraker, I think, allows you to add an individual episode to your Hisson list. I think Listen Hotes allows you to do that as well. But the vast majority of players, they kind of still focus on the whole entire podcast angle of things. That is a feature that I want to add onto PodHunt itself is that you can actually mark a, a kind of individual episode as something that you want to listen to. And then we can kind of do the same thing that we do with the, with the t- top five list. And you can have kind of a personalized, these are the things that I want to listen to. So it will kind of automatically appear in your player as well. I I think a lot of people feel the podcast overload in terms of trying to find out what to listen to. And it seems like maybe with something like PodHunt, we could get to the point where people are subscribing to this PodHunt feed and they get some choices that they'll probably enjoy and they can add you know, their own picks to the feed. And maybe you don't necessarily have to subscribe to an individual podcast. You just subscribe to the one PodHunt feed and you can go in and kind of influence what things show up in there. Is, it, is that kind of like your vision? I think, yeah, I think longer term, it, it's more than just like what's popular, but also you, you know, you should be able to filter it down to like, let's say you like the entrepreneurship podcast or you like technology podcasts or whatever it is. So there'll, there'll be a way that you can follow uh, a category of podcasts as well as individual people as well. So let's say you want to follow me for some reason. I don't know why you would, but but if I'm on a podcast now, it will automatically appear in this feed that you've kind of set up. So all of the topics that you follow, all the people that you follow, uh, and even individual podcasts. Let's say there, there's one podcast that you know that you want to listen to every episode uh, of as well. 
um, or at least if it's on Pod Hunt, right? Because like, that's that's the other filter that happens automatically, right? Because you could say that you want to follow, let's say you want to follow the sort of Indie Hackers podcast. The episodes from that podcast will only appear in this customized feed if that episode appears on PodHunt. So you're already kind of filtering, even though you're following indie hackers, if nobody submits that episode, it won't actually appear anywhere, right? Mm, so, I see, yeah. so it's kind of, you're kind of already adding a quality filter, hopefully. Hopefully PodHunt is that right. okay. quality filter. So you can subscribe to a podcast, but it might not appear if nobody actually likes any of those episodes. Yeah, that's uh, that's cool. I mean, it's it's kind of like the the core value proposition of PodHunt might, become you know this rss feed that just gives you exactly what you want so that'd be awesome yeah and i mean i, I mean ultimately long term i mean i think it may well become like a, a like an app as well so you know you can actually you can log into the website log into your app and then you kind of as you like things they will automatically get added to the player as well you know kind of things like that um i just you know again i was building a quick mvp to see if people would like this approach to kind of finding podcasts and things like that and so it's much easier to build and iterate on that on the web than it is to build and iterate on, on something like an iphone app instead so kind of started with that just because it was because it was something that i mean it, it's been tried in the past but it's been like a number of years since anybody tried this kind of approach um and and so i wanted to see you know is this something worth pursuing i, I mean are there going to be enough people interested in this that it's then worth spending the the weeks and months that it takes to build an iPhone app or an Android app or whatever, uh, and and also you know understanding what features people are actually looking for as well, right? You can you can it's much easier to kind of show people a website and say what do you think of this versus can you go and install this app on your phone and then run it and then tell me what you think, you know, it is yeah, much harder yeah, to kind of do all that kind of stuff. Um, and so yeah, so that was the idea with Burr because I mean I spoke to a few people and they're like. If it's not an app, I'm not interested. And I'm like, well, that's fantastic. I love that you think apps are everything. <laughs> but really, in terms of kind of iterating and kind of you know, trying new things, and experimenting, you can't really beat a web in, in, in my experience. Yeah, so that's a trend that goes beyond just pod hunt, but maybe into side projects in general, that it's it's much easier to get a, a website going than it is to to get a native app. Oh yeah. I mean I mean even with this little you know, this little idea that I spoke about before, there's no way I could build an entire app in three hours and submit it to the you know, Apple store and submit it to right. Google <laughs> Play and all those kind of fun things as well. For I mean sure. I literally had a website up and running that I could use myself in like under an hour. And it, and it was great, uh, you know, but, and, and even to kind of actually put it on a server and have it so other people could access it, you know, that took me those, uh, you know, that, that little bit of extra time, but there's no way that that would have happened if I was trying to build like an app, <laughs> you know, especially with quick little side projects like this. I mean, obviously my personal friends probably would have been okay installing <laughs> it, but if I put it out there on the store, it's very unlikely that, you know, people would just randomly find it and install it versus... Right. If I link to it somewhere and then you get the SEO benefits of, you know, people might just search for it and find yeah, it and things like yeah. that. And it, yeah. And I, like I said, I've, you know, I've been doing web stuff for like close on 20 years, actually over 20 years now. So, you know, I've got a lot of experience in that. So it's very easy for me to kind of spin stuff up and kind of have it, have it launched in a hurry. Yeah. So let's go a little bit more into that. How, how long did it take you to, to build the initial prototype? The so Pod Hunt, I started working on it on July the 25th. 
um, in about a week, I had uh, something that I could like share with some close friends to say, look, this is what I'm been working on. Hmm. You know, it's not polished yet, but yeah, it kind of works. Um, and so that they could submit episodes and I could submit episodes and we could kind of see how the, how the voting stuff worked and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Um, I think I did the soft launch the week after that. So basically after about two weeks after I started it, I did kind of a soft launch where I kind of just sent out some tweets and things and said, Hey, I've been working on this. Well, I, actually, I think I said, I'm working on something. If you like podcasts, can you, know, you just kind of uh, let me know? And I and then I sent them a link so they could kind uh, of okay. uh, find out. I didn't want it to be out there publicly yet because it was still kind of soft launched. <laughs> um, and then I think in about a month, I, I kind of you know I, I kind of used that time to get feedback from people about stuff I needed to fix and improve. Um, so about a month after I started work was the official launch after that. Were, were there any like major features that you added between the soft launch and the month later, or was it pretty similar and just kind of more polished that, that sort of thing? It was, it was more just changing the user experience side of things. Like just like the, 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 the process of submitting an episode changed a lot in between, uh, when, 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 when I first did the soft launch to when I did the actual launch, just the whole like onboarding experience changed a lot as, as, as people were in there, uh, kind of adding themselves to the site or just signing on onto the site and then submitting episodes. Um, it was mostly just around that. Cause I mean, I think that's, I mean, obviously you got two core experiences on the website. One is to submit an episode and one is to see the leaderboard itself. Um, and I think, you know, basically the submission process was the hardest because there's just a lot of steps to it. You know, mm. you kind of have to pick the podcast that you want to submit from. You have to pick the, the, the pick the specific episode that you want to submit. And then you have to p- provide the information about that episode as well. Like why you, sub- I mean, it's kind of optional in terms of like, why are you submitting it? Um, and then kind of who was in it as well. So who was the host of the podcast? Who's the, you know, if, if they have any guests on the podcast, that, that, that kind of stuff as well. Mm. Um, and so collecting all that information is kind of a multi-step thing. Um, and, and so just kind of making sure that that was really obvious and clear about why you were doing the things that you were doing along the way, um, uh, was, was something I think, I think made once, once I launched it, it was, it was much easier for people to kind of understand what was happening and, and mm. kind of submit episodes. Um, so I think, yeah, I think that kind of helped with the up take early on as well um i've noticed a trend with a lot of your side projects is you you launch very quickly and it seems like that gets you feedback really quickly as well so i I guess is that one of your your main goals with your side projects yeah i I think that's that's the main reason uh you know i like to launch uh quick and often and then yeah and then just launch over and over again week after week month after Mm. month just have more kind of small launches when you add a new feature what you know when if it's significant enough but it's mostly to get the product in the hands of the users so that they can tell you what's wrong what's you know what's awesome right um and kind of what 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 else they're looking for as well because yeah my my experience has been that uh you know and i think yes yeah, so other people have said have said this too but people don't really know what they want until they see it and sometimes they don't know what they don't want until you until you show them what you've built and then they tell you <laughs> I don't want that. Yeah. <laughs> and even with even with screenshots, I, mean, I know some people put together like screenshots and wireframes and things like that, but it's still very hard for people to understand, okay, when I complete this form, when I put this information here, it's gonna actually impact what the next form looks like, right? So right. understanding that, you know, what the implications of selecting this and and then moving on to the next step. 
you can show the screenshots and people think they understand it, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's never it's never that easy, right? <laughs> Definitely, yeah, for sure. the The next thing I guess I'd like to talk about is is what stack did you use to build Podhunt? Yeah, so it's again because it's a website, it's very you know it's very lean. Uh, I mean, I, I most of my side projects now are using Paravel PHP framework. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very much like Ruby on Rails, but I'm a I'm a long time php uh, person i think i built my first php site in 2000 i think so mm, i've been using php wow. for a long time yeah on and off i mean like i built stuff in node and python and ruby on rails and all that kind of stuff as well but mm-hmm. uh php has just kind of always been there yeah. <laughs> so i'm very very happy with it and very comfortable with it yeah um and then on the front end it's using the tailwind uh css framework Mm. Um, and it's using some Vue.js and some just vanilla JavaScript as well. Is it a single page application or? No, actually it's not. Um, I tend not to for MVPs do single page applications, especially for something like PodHunt, because ultimately I want, I want PodHunt to be kind of a, a, a monster in the SEO space. Like mm. every episode, every person you know i want i want pod hunt to rank well mm-hmm. for that and so doing a single page app makes it you know you just have to do extra work so that the search engines can index everything and, and kind of make sure everything is is kind of a-okay um on that side of things um the the, the reason i went with Vue uh is just uh, like the individual comp- there's like the voting element right like so each podcast episode that's submitted next to it there's like a up up arrow which you can kind of vote on it and stuff like that right. Um, and obviously you have to maintain state with that. Like is the user logged in? Have they voted on this already? Have they not voted on it? And so you're going to cancel the vote if they have voted and stuff like mm, that. And so trying to trying to manage that in vanilla JavaScript or something was going to be pretty hard. Um, and also, you know, that particular element in terms of has the user upvoted that, I don't really care if the search engines can index that information because I don't want mm-hmm. them to. Right. Um, and so, yeah, so just using Vue for those individual elements kind of made some sense because it was much easier to reuse those because I've got the same element on the on the homepage, but when you look at the episode, it's the same element, so you can still mm. upvote that that particular thing as well. So it was it made it easy to reuse uh, some some core parts of the experience and and having it as like a view component just made it so that it was all kind of isolated and stuff and easy to kind of shift around as well. Yeah, so it's it's not a single page application but there are certain pages where for example when you upvote something um it's not a full page refresh, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, like so like on the home page you can upvote all of the episodes and it just happens instantly. Uh, it's not going to re- refresh the page each time you you kind of upvote something, and again, and that's just for the normal reasons. Like I didn't, you know, as you scroll down or whatever, I don't want you to have to upvote something and then it refreshes the page. Now you got to scroll back to where you were, right? Right. So, yeah. So so kind of stuff like that. So just to kind of maintain the experience as well. I mean, obviously, like I said, you can do that with just normal JavaScript or with jQuery as well. Um, but using Vue, like I said, it just made it easier to maintain the state of everything. So, so it's easier to know if, like, if a user has is logged in, if they have, they have they voted, and you know, because I like, you know, because things like just changing the color when you actually upvote it, it changes the color of it, so that you know that you've already upvoted it, and, and kind of things like that. And and using a view component there just made that really easy um, without having to, you know, tr- 
track lots of different states of lots of different things for every episode. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually like that approach personally. I think it's pretty pragmatic because then you you don't have to worry about sort of the server side rendering aspect and SEO and that sort of thing. But you still get to take advantage of you know, some of this modern tooling to make it not so complicated when you want to have just like some interactivity on the page. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think still, you know, I, I, yeah, I say I'm a big fan of the web and and stuff as well as, uh, so yeah, just just the idea that you can come to the website and use it, even if you have JavaScript turned off, like the website will still work. You still, mm-hmm. won't, you know, obviously you, you you won't be able to upvote things and things like that, but the web still works. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, because that was my other concern is like, well, if I build this as a single page out, like what happens on, you know, cr- you know if somebody's on their iPhone on a Safari <laughs> browser versus a Chrome browser versus yeah. a Firefox browser, all those things. It's like, well, is the pay, is the, is it, will it, you know, because obviously, like I said, if the JavaScript isn't working, you can still see the episode. You can still see all the information about the episode. You can see the table to see who's in the lead mm-hmm. every day. Even if you can't upvote that stuff. At least it all still works. The core experience still works. Yep. Uh, versus with an SPA, if something goes wrong because of some browser issue or whatever, then basically the whole site isn't working at all. Um, and and again, this is a you know fun little side project thing. I, I don't have hours and hours and hours to, to to make sure I isolate every individual little issue, right? right. So, <laughs> um, so it's like I'm trying to get the most bang for the amount of time that I have, and and just having it be a normal app with some progressive in in enhancements so that you can add some functionality on top of that uh, I think is the best approach definitely and I think one of the nice things too is that you know when you're switching pages you get that um, almost like a reload of your application right so you don't yes. have to worry about the the persistent state somehow getting a bug there as you move from page to page absolutely and yeah you know, I've built SPAs in the past as well and yeah you know, where it makes sense as well. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not against them, but especially, you know, especially if you're targeting SEO stuff, mm-hmm. again, you can make it work, but it's, but you have to do extra work. Right. And again, I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep the amount of work I have to do to a bare minimum as well. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so are you using any other managed services, like, for example, a CDN in front of it for scaling purposes? Not yet. Um, and, and again, it gets a little bit tricky because obviously if you're, if you're logged in and you have to have that state of who's logged in and who, who can vote and who's already upvoted. So it kind of breaks the CDN anyway, mm. um, um, unless you do everything client-side, which is why a lot of people end up, once you have to go to a certain scale, SPAs make more sense because scaling is its own expense and, and, and kind of things like that. Um, so right now, you know, it's small enough and fast enough where I don't have to worry about that yet. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it's hopefully at some point it will become a problem and uh, <laughs> you know, I, will, I, will have to, I will have to think about that. I think there's going to be little parts I can I can cache and, and kind of you know offload to the CDN and things like that uh, so that people uh, have to be super concerned about like moving the whole thing into in, in, in into an SBA mm-hmm. how about the the data store for the project what are you using for that yeah again just try to keep it simple it's just a MySQL database it's not like this you know OSQL stuff mm-hmm. it's uh you know it's it's because it's meant to be a leaderboard and things like that actually having a list of things actually was more helpful in this case i just being able to run a quick 
query that said, you know, order it by this particular you know, attribute and stuff like that. So yeah. scanning those tables and things a lot was was pretty quick. And and you know the sort of re- relationships are p- pretty obvious as well. Like you know you got a podcast on episode, a user who can upvote stuff. So it it was all kind of fairly obvious stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I'm not worried about just like randomly adding fields onto records because I know a podcast is a podcast, what the attributes are. I know what an episode is and what the attributes of the episode are. I'm not gonna you know randomly gonna be concerned about new kind of attributes appearing or anything like that. I guess the other thing I would ask is where is this all being hosted? Um, so yeah, I use uh, so the Laravel uh, community has this thing called Laravel Forge that that a lot of people use to kind of manage uh, their hosting. Oh, okay. um, so Forge was actually written by Taylor Rotwell, who is actually the the writer of the framework itself as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of a it's kind of an ops layer that sits in between your GitHub repositories and wherever you want to host. So they support things like Linode and AWS hmm. and DigitalOcean and all those kind of things. And it's it's a really, really cool interface that just allows you to, by the you know, a click of a mouse, basically spin up a, uh, a virtual server. It installs things like, you know, Nginx for you, MySQL for you, and configures things in 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 a way that kind of optimizes them for hosting um and then it will clone your repo down into the server and kind of spin up everything in terms of configuring nginx and php and mysql so they can all talk to each other and and kind of understand all that kind of stuff so you can go from not having anything and having a GitHub repo with all of your code in it that you've pushed to having a site live in under 20 Mm. it's oh, that's that's actually really cool because um it, it seems like you're getting sort of the user experience of using a SaaS, but it's actually being hosted on just like a regular VM, right? Yeah, exactly. And and it's up to you. Like like I said, it, it supports a, a a few options in terms. I mean, obviously it obviously doesn't support everybody. Although you can actually just run a script on on a kind of any VM that you want as well. As long as so, you can say you want to add a VM, and it'll say, okay, if it's not in the list of the supported providers, where you kind of hook up your API so they can automatically uh, kind of add a new uh, VM if you want to. But you can take this script, execute it on the server once you've spun it up, and then it will install all the software for you, and then kind of connect back into into Forge so that you can uh, manage it still through. Even though you know it couldn't configure it for you automatically, right? And but if it is one of the supported formats, then let's say you use DigitalOcean or Linode, I you wouldn't have to uh, create a VM and you know install Nginx and install MySQL and all that, which is probably the last thing you want to think about when you're trying to get a side project done, right? <laughs> right, absolutely. And and yeah, and you know, so in 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 the Forge uh, site, you you actually you know, so once you picked you know who you're going to host it with, once they know, um, they can actually so they will ask you like, okay, what size instance would you like to make? So you know, you can create a small one if you want it, or a large one, or you can. Even I think with a with AWS and T-Solution, you can even c- c- configure load 
balances as well and sort of all, all sorts of options like that so that you can actually spin up. So d- d- depending on what your needs are, if it's just going to be a quick little side project, you probably just need the one server. But if it's if it's a more significant application, then you, know, you might have t- two web servers and uh, have a load balancer in front of it and all that kind of stuff. And you can kind of do all of that through their interface as well. Cool. So how about we circle back to the project related to hacker news you were mentioning before <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so yeah i was talking to uh yeah I was, I was on another podcast and we're talking about like the the leaderboard that pod hunt has right it's, it's obviously very inspired by product hunt as well in terms of the way that they reset their leaderboard every day and and I was saying how I really found that really easy to you know I could come back every day and then I see this like this short list of things that that were popular during that particular day and 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 I'd mentioned that you know I that's one of the things I find really stressful about Hacker News like I come to Hacker News every day well not even every day anymore but I come to Hacker News and I just see this long stream of 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 uh of news right like i'm like well have i seen that before was that from yesterday was that from the day before um and and so my idea was well maybe i can turn the idea of this like segmented leaderboard based on the day that it was submitted and just apply that same approach to hacker news right can Mm. i can i turn that long list of awesome news into something that's a little bit easier to consume Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so, yeah, I did some quick looking around and, and Hacker News has an API that you can use to pull down all of the, all the posts and you know, how many upvotes they have and all sorts of stuff. And when, obviously when they were submitted and, and things like that. And so, yes, yeah, so I, I, I built a quick little page. It's really, it's literally just one page where there's a, there's a process that talks to the API and pulls down. Uh, I think it just pulls down the, the 500 most recent items according to what they're... So if you went to Hacker News, it would show you all 500 posts, essentially, in the order that they appear on kind of Hacker News. Um, and then I used that information to say, okay, now I want to segment that list based on when those 500 things were actually submitted. So if they were submitted today, then they're in one list. And if they were submitted yesterday, then they're in, in, in a second list. So you can kind of see based on each day, what the popular news was for each of the, you know, was what was popular yesterday, what was popular today, and you can go back as far as you want mm, as well. I see. So like I said, really, really, you know, really simple, really one page kind of thing. Um, yeah, I just basically I had to write the thing that queried the API to go and fetch the information. And then you built you know, a really simple little uh, single pager that queried that table based on, when it was submitted and then ordered it by by the appropriate uh, kind of attributes as well so and then like i said it didn't take me very long but it I, but i've been using it for the last couple of days myself now and it's, it's been it has been kind of interesting that i don't have to worry about like i don't have to scan like the entire list to see what's new and what's not new because i can just say okay i know i came yesterday what what's been popular since then right like i can just kind of say well since today what was submitted and what's popular and so just seeing it broken down by when it was submitted is actually making it a little bit easier to consume that information as well yeah and i'm assuming you're doing something similar to pod hunt where maybe you only show the top 10 or or top certain number Uh, per day 
Yes, well, and, and I have the same thing I have on Podhan as well. Where uh, so you see the sort of top ten, and then there's like a link at the end uh, at, at at the end of the top ten that says that there's, there's you know there's sixty more or you know so eighty more, and you can expand that if you want to mm-hmm. and see all of that as well. Um, but yeah, so yeah, so the, the same idea that on one screen you can kind of so so the way I have things set up is on one screen I can see both today, yesterday, and the day before mm. and i can see roughly de- you know depending on how long the the sort of titles are and things like that i can see between 10 and 15 stories mm-hmm. and so just by scanning the one page i can see what was popular in those three days so even if i come back like every other day it's, it's not like i have to worry about um maybe i missed stuff because i didn't scan back far enough to see what was popular uh, now I can just kind of see on one screen, I can see what's popular f- for the past three days instantly. Yeah, so basically um, similar to Pod Hunt, where you go to the page, you get what, let's say you want to see an article for today, you just get a very short list. You don't have to kind of scroll through and figure out, like you were saying, which ones have I seen, which ones have I not seen. Yeah, and, yeah I mean, there's, there's, there's ways to you know, add more functionality to it as well in terms of, you know, I can... Maybe you can highlight, you know, I can remember when was the last time I've visited the page, right? And then I can I can apply different styling to things that were new since I came mm-hmm. uh, and things like that as well. So there's ways to kind of add more functionality to it. But, you know, again, it's one of those things where it's like, well, build the MVP. What's the core functionality? The core functionality is like, let's segment that list so you're not having to worry about having missed stuff and what was popular yesterday. I don't know because I have to scroll down the page three now of Hakanoos to get to what was mm-hmm. popular, you know, <laughs> sort of that long ago. I could see it on one page. So that's the core experience. And then put it in the hands of people, see what they say and if people like it and and in and if I continue to use it every day, then then they'll add more of that functionality as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like for both um, this side project and for Pod Hunt, you kind of took something that was an issue for you and you figured out a way, how can I save myself some time? And you just decided to work on it. Yeah, and, and I mean, I find that's the best approach to, to, to you know, in terms of you know, finding ideas for things to work. Because a lot of people always reach out to me and be like, I, you know, and they're like, I don't know what to build. And like, I, and they're like, I want to do a side project, but I don't know what to I, I don't know what app to build. Yeah, and, and usually my answer is like, well, you know, what's causing you pain every day? What's the thing that you do either when you're having fun or in your work that you're like, oh, I wish there was an app where I could use to automate this, or if there was something that had this information in one place that I could aggregate, or somebody could aggregate so that you know it would be easy to find it. Um, yeah, that that if you can solve one person's problem, that's fantastic. And if that one, you know, solving that one problem might be hundred other people who are having the same issue as well. It might be a thousand other people who are having the same issue as well. And then you can find that audience as well. Yeah. I mean, it's uh yeah, that's a good approach because uh, like you said, if it kept solving the problem for you, then you would at least be motivated to work on it for yourself. Right. Right. And yeah. And that's that, and that, that's, I think the other, the sort of other reason that people stop working on things, you know, even if in, in some cases people do find something to work on, but they they never quite get to the launch or, or even if they launch it they're like well you know i didn't really i don't really like this thing i don't really need it every day i don't use it mm-hmm. every day and then you kind of lose interest in it and it just kind of falls away by the side yeah uh, versus if it's something that you know uh, if it's going to be solving a problem for you and and it's going to be something that you're going to use it's much easier to stay 
um, motivated and, 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 and kind of stay interested in it as well. Definitely. The next thing I kind of like to ask is how do you decide how to time box your side projects? Um, I try not to. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, obviously I'm a little bit, you know, I mean, obviously I, I'm, I'm, I'm able to do things pretty fast mm-hmm. now. Yeah, I've been doing this for long enough where, you know, I'm not really spending a lot of time learning things and, and kind of figuring stuff out. It's norm- normally it's like, I know what problem I want to solve and I kind of have a good idea of how I want to solve it as well. Um, and so my main thing is, I think my main approach in this kind of situation is, you know, while you're excited, while you're motivated about something, do as much as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the more progress you make because you're excited about something, the more likely you are to continue to work on it. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and, you know, and, and then obviously, like I said, because, I'm, I'm able to build things so quickly. I don't really have to worry about like, I'm not spending six months on something and I haven't launched it yet. And it's starting to become a pain. Like, why haven't I launched it yet? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like that. Um, and so, yeah, that's where I think t- time boxing comes in. Cause you're like, okay, now I'm going to give myself a certain window where I have to build something and launch it Yeah, because otherwise I'm just wasting time or wasting s- cycles and things like that. Uh, versus, you know, kind of my approach is, well, you know, build it as fast as I can, launch it. Yeah. Even if it's not ready, launch <laughs> it. <laughs> um, and, and so, you know, obviously it's hard to know when is the right time to launch. And and that's that's the other thing I tell people too is like, I mean, when I say launch something, you know, it, it's not like I'm doing a massive party and launching it and like getting lots of press or anything like that. Like I'm launching it. You know, I'm sharing it with friends and their friends are sharing it with their friends mm-hmm. and things like that. So it's it's kind of a very low-key, very soft launch yeah. um, that you're using to get feedback. And then the minute that you can get the feedback to improve it, then I think at that point, naturally, you get to the point where it's like, well, this feels like it's ready for something more significant in terms of a launch strategy as well. Mm-hmm. And then you can kind of figure out what what's the best approach to to kind of launch it more officially. But... Um, and, you know, I think, you know, people have to get away from the idea of, oh, I've got to launch it. It has to, to, it has to be a big success. It has to have this massive launch um, because we just don't work like that anymore. It's not like, you know, I mean, I, I still remember the days when companies would ship you software on 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 CDs and mm-hmm. floppy disks and things like that. And that was how you installed new software in it. Uh, and so, so, so this idea of a release made a lot more sense and a launch made a lot more sense. Right. Now I can update a website every time you come, even if you come once a day, if you come once an hour, mm-hmm. there's a pretty good chance that I've launched something new in the time yeah. that you've <laughs> visited the site. So, so yeah, so launches happen a lot more often than you think now. And, and so this idea of a, a launch is still important, but it's not like this be all end all either. Yeah. And it sort of seems like, you know, you you work on something because you are enjoying that experience or you're getting good feedback. And because you release so quickly, um, you're sort of able to, to stay in that cycle rather than getting stuck and, um, you know, deciding like, oh, I don't really feel like working on this because it feels so far out. Yeah. And I think, you know, and that's, again, that's, you know, choosing what to work on, I think is really important. You know, having that good product founder fit i think is really important as well because if you pick something just because oh it's you know like a hot industry and i think i can build something and and you know kind of 
catch the wave, as it were. Yeah, and and you might be able to, but it's not something that's going to be passionate about. You know, especially Mm -hmm. with side projects, right? Like you've 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 already worked eight hours in your whatever your day job is, or if you're at school or whatever. Mm -hmm. Having the energy and the motivation to work on something for another two or three hours after that, after 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 you get home, you know, I think that to me is the hardest thing, right? Like finding the the passion to to kind of move forward, and then so picking something that's going to give you that energy and, and that lift to actually work on it is way more important than picking like what the hot industry is, you know. This week, <laughs> definitely. I, I mean, that definitely makes sense um, in terms of you know figuring out something that you really enjoy doing. Do you think your thinking changes though when a project transitions from not making money to making money? Um, to some degree. I mean, at, at, at some point, a project stops being a side project. Well, hopefully, at some point, a project stops being a side project, right? So. Yeah. Um, and, and I think at that point you do have to treat it, you know, just the, 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 the amount of tension that you give it, the amount of, uh, attention that it re- requires will, will change too. And obviously depending on what kind of product it is in terms of if you're charging customers, uh, you know, a monthly fee to, to kind of use it and things like that, they expect a certain amount of functionality, a certain amount of res- responsiveness as well. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, so it, it changes the, t- dynamic of kind of uh, your relationship with the project as well absolutely in your previous work um when you make something that is going to charge money is that something you typically do from the start or is that something that you sort of have a free product and see where it goes from there i think it depends on the product itself right like it depends i mean like with something like pod hunt i knew that the core of the product had to be free right like People aren't going to pay to find new episodes to, to kind of listen to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but obviously, if you've got you know some kind of SaaS for enterprise business, then yeah, absolutely, you would charge you know kind of right from the beginning. I think in many ways, uh, for a side project, you actually want to charge right from the beginning just because it will lower the support costs that you're going to incur, right? Mm. Like just because if you've got a free tier, you've got lots of people signing up to try it and and to see what it's all about and trying to figure it out that can cost you a lot of time to kind of support all those people and to respond to their questions mm-hmm. and, and kind of everything like that and you know and plus you don't know how serious they are right they're just kind of kicking the tires and kind of seeing if it's something that's kind of interesting or not um what you want is you want people who are serious so that so that the so that the time you're spending is actually has the potential to give you the ROI that you're interested in as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so I think, I think for those kind of projects, I would absolutely charge right from the beginning. And this is like a very conscious decision you're making when you're choosing the project, right? Whether you think this is something that you want to make money on or it's just for fun. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, and, and I think you, I think that's the other thing right from the beginning when, when, whenever I start a side project or a project of any kind is understanding why, right? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. I built a lot of projects where it's, it's purely for one, it's purely for fun that I'm like, this thing will never make money. And I understand that. And that's cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but also understanding that, well, okay, that project might lead to, you know, a new relationship or it might lead to, uh, just growing my network or, or followers. It might mean more people on my emailing list or whatever it happens mm-hmm. to be. It doesn't have to be about charging customers, but you still have to understand why you're building it. It's just to manage your expectations, right? Like 
it's not like oh, I'm going to build this and, it, and I, all of a sudden I'm going to become the next Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> you know, good luck with that if you're building something nights and weekends and you're spending an hour a night on it. Like, right. good luck. <laughs> <laughs> I guess another thing I, I'd kind of like to ask is, you know, you're in, in your day job, you, you're a director of engineering for an agency, right? Yes, I am, yep. And um, when you approach a project at work versus a side project, how do you approach things differently? It's mostly just about time usually, right? Like I, I know, well, and you know, one, obviously when, when, when I'm doing agency work, I'm doing work for a client. They have a certain criteria, a certain achievement, a certain goal that they want to achieve already. So, you know, they kind of take some of that, that, that sort of uh, expectations off you because they, they kind of already tell you what they want the functionality to be, what they want, what the features and things to be. And obviously, I'm, I'm usually not working on my own either. Like, you know, I'll be working on a team from mm-hmm. anywhere from five to 20 people, you know. So, um, so obviously, having the d- different skill sets involved, I don't do any of the d- d- design work on, on, on kind of any of those projects. We typically have a front-end engineering team, a back-end engineering team as well to kind of kind of build all the different aspects of it as well. Um, so, you know, when, when it comes to that, you know, you're kind of managing the project more <laughs> kind of in those instances mm-hmm. uh, versus obviously when, when I'm doing stuff on the, on, on the side, it's like, well, you know, what's the itch that I want to scratch, right? Like, what's the thing I want to do with this thing? Yeah. And, and like I said, how do I get to somewhere where I can launch it as fast as I can mm-hmm. versus... Obviously, yeah. I mean, some of the projects I've done on my day job have been year-long projects, right? Right. Um, and and so the sort of expectations and things are completely <laughs> completely opposite there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that's an interesting point because you know, like you were saying before, with your personal projects, you're like, um, you know, let me see if I can ship in a week or two weeks, and let me just keep getting feedback where. Um, with the agency work, I, I would guess it's like, you know, you're delivering a final product to your agency and, you know, that's, that's what they're going to show to the public. Right. Uh, yeah. And I mean, I mean, obviously it depends again, it depends on the client and things like we've done smaller projects and that as well. And, and we worked in an agile way as well on, on some projects as well. So we're shipping stuff to the client, you know, every few weeks still. So it's not like we're just doing the whole, the old classic waterfall approach mm-hmm. where you, you know you start the project and one year later here's your application uh, <laughs> but it's but it's still i mean still it's just like i said it's more like you're managing the the sort of you're managing the 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 the, the, the um sprints and things like that yeah. in, in kind of more organized way and you're still figuring out what can you do in those few weeks and, and things like that but but the long-term vision and the long-term uh expectations are obviously much higher in in, in something like that just because like i said there's more people involved there's there's just lots of different expectations in there and 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 frankly i i mean i also approach the building of the application itself in a slightly different way as well like you know you kind of as i think about what i do for my clients it's more understanding and uh you know realizing that you need to have maintainability and and scale and, and those kind of things in mind as you kind of work on those things versus my side projects i'm 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 really not worrying about that that kind of stuff because one i don't know if it's an idea that people really want two i don't really worry about scale because who's going to use this thing anyway mm-hmm. <laughs> 
um, and so yeah, so the the, the, the sort of uh, the sort of attitude changes because I'm not too concerned about the long term and the maintainability and the scalability and all that kind of stuff because you know. Uh, but yeah, because that that's going to be a nice problem to have at some point. Um, versus 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 the agency work, which is like this project that I'm building, you know, in in theory, will be live for five six years, hopefully at least. Um, and so you think about like, okay, how do I build a project that will live that long with the code that I'm working mm-hmm. on right now? Obviously, you will continue to add to it and stuff like that, but but the core of it will be the same for a long long. Hopefully, yeah. So I guess for the side project, you can release quicker because um, you you don't need to have a a five year plan for the support, for example. I would say, I mean, it's basically an MVP, right? Like, so the idea is to launch it to see what people think about it, and chances are, within six months to a year, if if it's a project that has legs you'll probably scrap what you built and start over mm. and then actually build the the version one and that will be the thing that will have its that will have its legs right so so yeah so so the idea is and that's the other reason that you kind of iterate fast is that you just you just like oh, i had this feature it sucked nobody used it i'm just going to scrap it right yeah, like yeah. you kind of move fast like that you try it you see if it works if it succeeds you kind of you kind of add to it if it fails you just strip it out and start over um, and, and so, yeah, so, so the, the things that you're trying to do are the same. You're trying to build software, but the sort of approach and, and the way that you kind of, you kind of focus on, like, what's the thing that you're trying to focus on? Um, and, you know, in my case on my side project, it's like, well, let's see what the users actually want. Um, and obviously it's like, what can I do in the hour or two, uh, you know, in kind of each evening that I have, Versus, I've got eight hours every day to work on this. <laughs> so the thing I want to kind of close out with is probably the most popular side project you ever made is the project where you wrote a page about whether robots will take your job. <laughs> yes, I, I guess really briefly, could you explain what that page was and and what it did? Yeah, I got contacted by somebody I never met. I still have never met this person. Hmm. Uh, Timotar lives in Bulgaria. Area uh, in Sofia, I believe. And about two years ago, he just reached out to me randomly online and was like, "Hey, I've seen you know all the all the stuff that you built. It would be cool if we can work on something." And I was like, "Absolutely, would love to." Um, and so we were trying to figure out like what we were going to build, and we were like, "Well, let's start small. Let's build something really quick and easy, just so that we can see if we like to work together, if we like to work on the same kind of things." Um, and so he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That sounds good. I found this research paper that was written by uh, some researchers at the Oxford University in 2013 that did a study of about 750 jobs, uh, 745, I think it was. Um, and they looked at the attributes of those jobs, at the skills that you needed to have. And they did a analysis of in 2023, would AI and robotics be able to do that particular job? job instead of a human being um, and so they published this thing and it was in a pdf it was about 300 pages long with all of the how they how they analyzed everything and you know mm-hmm. it, it was just kind of a long thing and and, and at the end they had this t- table which was like for every job they 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 kind of assigned a percentage to uh, the 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 likelihood of that that job would be would be automated away so we basically took that last bit of the report, which had just that 700 uh, 
jobs in it. And we kind of extracted that out of the report and we built a li- really simple site where you just type in the name of the, of, of the job that you're interested in. We looked up the, we looked up the percentage likelihood of that, of that job you want to We showed you that and we showed you some other stats about that particular job that we pulled from uh, the U S uh, I don't know what the agency is in the US that has that has the information, but but we found basically for all those jobs, you know, how many workers there were in the workforce and what the what the expect if there was going to be more of those, if it's going to be less of those over the next twenty years. So we just and what the average salary was and sort of sort of that kind kind of stuff, and we just kind of packaged all that up into a really nice little site uh, that looked really good because he was a designer and I was the developer on on that particular site um and so we built this thing in about two weekends um just you know just kind of working um casually with the time zones and stuff trying Mm -hmm. to work all of that stuff out as well um and we launched it um and in the first week that it was live it had done four million page views wow that's incredible (laughs) it was kind of insane yeah we uh we launched it on product hunt and by the end of the day it'd been on like m it'd been on msn and i think it was on um the next web and then we found out like just by because the traffic just kept coming in waves and waves and waves of of more traffic and we're like then we found out it was on like tv stations all Mm, over the country mm -hmm. it was on radio stations as well it was on like Barstool Sports, which I didn't really know was that popular, but we got like millions of page views because it was on the oh, wow. Barstool Sports. And then it made it to the the top of um, a couple of really popular subreddits as well. Uh, we got a lot of traffic from there as well. So yeah, that was, a, that was pretty awesome. <laughs> that was a pretty awesome site to launch. <laughs> The one thing I thought was interesting is if you go to the site, one of the entries on the front page is for computer programmers. <laughs> and um, it says 48% thinks uh, AI is going to replace computer programmers. So where where do you think that leaves us? <laughs> well, I mean, if you think about it, it's kind of happening a little bit anyway right now. Not necessarily will robots, right, in terms of AI and things like that. But if you look at the no-code movement that's happening right now, I mean, I know it's still human beings, but like computer programs are being re- replaced by people who can't actually code. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so I think it's a very good likelihood that there will be a lot of um, movement, especially in this space. Now, I mean, I think ultimately, still the the rate of growth in terms of the market, in terms of the things that need to be built and things that need to be coded, will still outgrow the pace of jobs being you know handled by somebody else. Yeah. yeah. So I think as a computer programmer, I think I, I think my job is safe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think there'll still be a need for somebody like me. Um, but th- I think that's purely because the market is still continuing to grow. There needs to be more programmers over the next 20 years than less. Yeah, um, And yeah. that's, I think, part of the reason that this no-code movement is happening and the whole AI shift is happening is because I don't think we can keep up with the t- 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 demands that are out there. So, so you know, 
building these tools and things that allows non-technical people to be able to do some of the things that we do now mm-hmm. is a, a necessity just because, yeah, because there just aren't enough programmers out there. Yeah, yeah. And you also have, there's some kind of research being done on things like automated program repair, where the program will actually be able to read its own code and um, try to identify problems uh, while it's running. So I don't know how how far off that is, but uh, there's definitely more things coming down the pipeline. Yeah, and like I said, it's I, you know, I, there's this whole thing with automation is not you know, I don't think we're all just going to sit on our asses and, you know, <laughs> for the next hundred years and not have to do anything because AI and <laughs> robotics are going to take over the world or anything like that. But um, but uh, you know, it's just going to be a shift in the way that you know. And, and when 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 we first put 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 out this website, we got asked the same question a fair bit too. And, and it makes you think about well, look, this happened during the industrial revolution as mm-hmm. well, right? Like there was you know people were out working, and you know then they went to work in factories, and and now you know now that we've got the software revolution happening, we're still working in factories and people working you know more in in, in software and things like mm-hmm. that. I think even as we see this shift of AI and things like that coming in, there's just going to be a skill shift. As long as you can you can retrain yourself a little bit, yeah. I think there will always be work out there that, that still needs to happen by humans as well. Yeah, well, hopefully we'll all be ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Uh, so I think that's a good place to wrap up. If uh, anybody wants to follow you or check out, check out some of your other projects, uh, where should they look? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm pretty active on Twitter. So it's Twitter uh, slash uh, Mabashir Iqbal, which is my f- full name. Um, and then, as you said, there's uh, iWorkedOn.com that has the, the full list of all of my 84, soon to be 85 <laughs> <laughs> side projects as well. Very cool. Well, Mubs, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Mugs. Make sure to check out PodHunt at podhunt.app. And if you enjoyed the show, make sure to give it an upvote there. See ya.